Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Preacher Boys podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Rebecca Klein. Rebecca Klein is a senior reporter for HuffPost. She covers education, politics, and policy. And I'm going to be honest, her recent article got quite a bit of attention from you, the Preacher Boys podcast audience. And in light of the recent shocking events at the Capitol, this article felt startlingly relevant. Its headline simply read, quote, these textbooks in thousands of K through 12 schools echo Trump's talking points. End quote. And of course, that's going to draw some attention. I saw some mixed feedback on the article and decided to bring Rebecca onto the show and talk about her inspiration for the article, what research she did on BJU and Abeka curriculum specifically, and the general response from the public reading the article. I really hope you enjoy this interview with Rebecca Klein. I know this is something of a bonus episode. It's a little bit outside the normal talking points of the show. But since so many of you found it relevant, I got my inbox blown up with this article. Um, I think it's going to be a really good episode to cover. And I hope you'll hear from her perspective and really listen in as she talks about the research she's done. Thank you so much for listening. And here's the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Preacher Boys podcast. I'm sitting down with Rebecca Klein. If you don't recognize the name, you probably recognize the article that I shared from the Huffington Post diving into a Becca in BJU curriculum. I know that there were literally like probably a dozen people from my audience that sent this to me. There were more that tagged me in it, and there was a lot more that were responsive when I started sharing it in the group. And really, I just wanted to dive into kind of what prompted you to write the article. I know you cited a couple different things, but I really want to just get your perspective for someone who is covering these kind of topics, reporting on this kind of subject, why you thought now was a good time to to dive into this conversation. But before we get into that, though, I just want to know your background. Or do you have connections to the religious 
kind of community? Is that something that kind of influences you as you write? So actually, I became interested in this topic in a kind of roundabout way. It wasn't through personal experience. I grew up in a really liberal, reformed Jewish community, which was didn't have much exposure to any type of fundamentalist or evangelical Christian communities. But I'm an education reporter, and I, a few years ago, became really interested in the types of schools that voucher programs were serving. Voucher programs meaning school choice programs in states that use taxpayer dollars to help fund private scholarships to to private schools. And I started delving into a lot of the schools that participate in voucher programs and found that many of them were really religious Christian schools. And I I started speaking to some folks about these schools and the curriculum sources they use. So it snowballed from there. I became really interested in the types of curriculum sources that in a roundabout way are receiving public funding at this current juncture. Right. Yeah, no, I know you wrote an article back in 2017, I believe, with Betsy DeVos becoming the Secretary of Education and and you were covering really just the breakdown of who was receiving taxpayer funding. And I didn't even know the voucher program existed in the denomination that my listeners are familiar with. The schools were very against receiving any kind of mm-hmm. government funding whatsoever for fear that it would manipulate their curriculum or that they would lose rights to teach the way that they wanted to teach. Reading your article was this bombshell moment of, oh, there's millions of dollars going toward these schools. I think one of the one of the stats you'd mentioned was that in Indiana, 4,240 students received over $16 million in scholarships to attend schools that use a Becca or Bob Jones curriculum based on 2016, 2017 figures. That like that blew me away because I couldn't, I, w- I was thinking about my schools. Like, I can never imagine them ever taking any kind of vouchers or any kind of government funding whatsoever, but it's not something that's a small number of schools. It's just mm-hmm. a pretty pretty widespread group. So what were your concerns as you saw this happening? Like what, what was concerning to you about schools using these, you know, pieces of curriculum or specifically like religious schools receiving kind of government funding? Totally. Yeah. So what I started looking into was at the time Betsy DeVos was becoming education secretary. She had recently been confirmed. And obviously with Betsy DeVos becomes the private school choice movement. That's her main issue. That's what she's most invested in. And that's what she dedicated her tenure to trying to expand. So at the time, I was really just trying to learn more about her and learn more about voucher programs in general. And something that I kept hearing from scholars and advocates was that they really just, they didn't have a great sense of what types of schools were participating in these programs. No one was tracking it. And of the schools participating in these programs, they didn't know whether or not these were good schools. They didn't know whether or not they were bad schools. They didn't know um, what they were teaching because they, private schools in most places have a tremendous amount of freedom in terms of curriculum. So I decided to undertake this very big project that I was very lucky that my editor gave me the time and space to do basically just to try and make a database of every school participating in one of these programs so I could get a picture of what types of schools were participating in these programs. So I actually didn't come into the project with a specific thesis or focus on a Becca or Bob Jones University Press or Accelerated Christian Education. But as I was making these databases and it became very clear to me 
that a vast majority of schools that were participating in these programs were religious schools. And of these religious schools, most were evangelical Christian schools. I I started talking to more experts about these schools and their thoughts and opinions on these schools now receiving this influx of essentially public funding. And something that came up over and over again, and as I was speaking to folks, was basically having concerns about the the curriculum that they know to be popular in these schools. So at that point, I ordered the textbooks for myself because I wanted to take a look. And I ended up, I, I highlighted a bunch of passages that I suspected, I haven't been in high school for some time, but I suspected were were different than how public schools would present things for better or for worse. Obviously, we know that public schools are might have their own perspective in teaching and, and they certainly can be criticized for, for many things in their textbooks. But I highlighted a bunch of passages and I ended up, I decided the the fairest way to delve into it was to send some of these passages to a wide array of historians and scholars around the country and to see um, what their perspective was and whether or not they thought that they were accurate or skewed and what have you. Mm. So once I got their responses and and they, many of them took uh, umbrage with a lot of the presentation of things in these textbooks. So you might have the obvious things that one might take issue with in terms of their teaching of evolution and creationism, but also many of the things in the history books, like referring to, I think like Nelson Mandela is a, is a Marxist who was dedicated to radical affirmative action. Many historians certainly took portrayal with, with the presentation of him or one accelerated Christian education book referred to slavery as black immigration. There was obviously uh, a lot of meaning behind those statements. So then the next step in this project was then I went back and I started documenting of the religious Christian schools, how many schools advertised using this curriculum. So what I have is obviously a minimum because not every school advertises using this curriculum or advertises whatever curriculum they use, just not not every school has a website, what have you. And I reached out to all of them as well. And so my database reflected the ones that I heard or could confirm. And then from there, I went on to look at which schools had policies against LGBTQ students. I found that there was uh, a bunch of schools participating in these voucher programs with connections to Scientology, which has its own host of issues. Yeah. And then earlier this year, I did another follow-up where I found that a few of these schools pushed LGBTQ students to conversion therapy, and they advertised doing so in their handbooks. So I had done all this research, and that's what led me to draw the connection between what happened a few weeks ago at the Capitol and some of these textbook sources. One of the things I had asked for kind of feedback from it, and and there's actually a, there, there was a pastor that responded to it. I just had the tweet up just a minute ago, but he was talking about the idea that he was essentially talking about the idea like it's impossible to write, like I said before we start recording, it's impossible to write without some kind of slant toward your worldview. No matter how hard you mm-hmm. try, it's going to come through when you're looking at different topics. And so he specifically narrowed in on the topic of the foundings of the country and, and mm-hmm. being and, and the idea of moving away from a, a God-centered morality or seeing the providence of God as opposed to a more humanistic worldview. And so I think that's an accurate I think that's an accurate concern is like to say to it's the question I guess we have debating social media censorship is who gets to determine 
which worldviews are safe. Mm. And so you've got people who are sitting there going like to teach that there's some kind of providential plan behind the United States or to teach that God orchestrated certain events. Some would say that's extremely dangerous. While on the other side, someone could easily take the headline uh, of your article where it says, or the the subtitle where it says they're religion-centered, anti-democrat, anti-science. There could be someone on the flip side saying it's man-centered, anti-Republican, mm-hmm. you know, anti-faith kind of conversation. What obviously when we're looking at kind of education as a whole, we want to give students an opportunity to learn to think and and discover for themselves. So what do you think as you talk with experts and scholars and do research yourself, what do you think is the balance there? Like how do we educate students without indoctrinating students? Cause that seems to be the debate on both sides. Mm-hmm. People are worried Sean Hannity is on Fox every night, terrifying parents about public schools indoctrinating their kids and vice versa. There's liberal arts professors, terrifying people about the brainwashing of kind of Christian or, or religious schools. What's yeah. a balance you've seen there as you've talked with experts in these fields? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I'm I'm certainly not an expert on that because I think it seems to be less of a curriculum question or education question and probably more of a psychology question. Mm. But it's interesting that you bring that up, the flip side of that, of people feeling how they could say you're anti-faith, all these things. It's indoctrination on both sides because I'm hoping to work on a follow-up story right now about people who are taking their kids out of public schools newly or, or having new reservations or, or new considerations, not even particularly religious people, but people who feel like a certain worldview has trickled down into public schools and one that they might not necessarily align with which could certainly be fair if they don't think that's right for their child. To me, I think the distinction, and this is just my personal opinion, I think the danger comes when there is any type of villainization of an outgroup or an othering of another group. Obviously, we want our education systems, we want our society to be one in which people can peacefully agree, disagree, in which people can question things without fear of censorship and can think differently without necessarily be labeled as a certain type of person or feeling judged. But I think the the danger is I think that becomes impossible on all sides when the curriculum sources or the education that you are receiving from a very young age is teaching that different types of people are dangerous or labeling them with some sort of immutable negative characteristic because I think it's hard to respectfully disagree with someone when you've been told that they are evil or have some sort of Mm. inherent bias or inherent negative quality about them. And I do think that you see a bit of that in, in these textbooks. I don't think for, I don't think these were in the most recent round of textbooks that I analyzed, I, in previous textbooks, talked about Satan hatching the idea of environmentalism and modern psychology. And then this most recent round of textbooks talked a lot about environmentalists and their dangerous worldview. And I don't necessarily know what an environmentalist is, but I certainly know a lot of people who care a lot about environmental issues. And just using this group as an example. And I think it could be a really a difficult and dangerous thing if you've been told from a young age that somehow people who have a certain perspective on these issues are associated with Satan. 
that to me seems like it would certainly stymie critical thinking. And I would I'd say the same goes on all sides if if in public schools they're teaching that certain groups have dangerous immutable characteristics. Yeah, there's definitely certain, like I mentioned earlier, there's certain phrases or things that are going to be worded in a different way. When you get into conversations about, you could say, like, for example, if you're coming at it from a Christian perspective, you could say America was founded pretty, even if you're going to say it's founded very atrociously, or the way that the roots of American history are not the pretty picture that we would like to imagine, you could say there was some providential guidance through that. Or or you could say things like that. And, And that's wording that some people would not use because they don't believe there's, they believe that it's just kind of a, an accidental kind of structure or there's been, however you want to phrase it and vice versa. But then there's some things in these textbooks that go very specifically to push an agenda. And I think that's where it crossed into that strange territory. One of the ones that stood out to me and you alluded to this was an 11th grade U.S. history test textbook from Rebecca said, although many false philosophies were popular in America before 2000, the new millennium heralded a dramatic acceptance of immoral ideology on a national scale. Three such philosophies are globalism, environmentalism, and postmodernism. And why it stood out to me was, one, it gave it a very specific label. It didn't present it. It just said it is immoral. Before you could define it, this is how to think about it. But then it gives three things that are very different in stature of importance. Someone being postmodern, you could easily talk about some disagreements with that position or that ideology or someone being a globalist economically. But then environmentalism sticks out as a sore thumb because it's such a broad topic. And so Mm -hmm. you've got, are you talking about people that don't, are you talking about people that recycle? Are you talking about people who would want to sign the Paris Treaty? Would you want to, there's, that's a broad thing, but you've labeled all three of those things right out of the gate. And you're obviously, you're a journalist. And so you're sitting there looking at this, you're looking at current events on a national scale with, with evangelicals who have happened to make the headlines quite a bit in the last, last couple of years. And you're starting to draw these connections. And I told you before we started recording, this is where I found myself in an interesting predicament with my show is I'm sitting here talking about abuse. I'm I'm sitting here talking about primarily physical and sexual abuse that happens within independent Baptist churches, as niche as you could possibly be for any particular show. But I'm also sitting back as as a, I don't even like using the label, but as an evangelical myself, and I look at men like Donald Trump, I look at the, the Capitol riots, and I look at all these things, and I can't help but draw the connections between the the theology that's being presented or the material that's being taught and see connections there and it's interesting i almost feel like i feel stressed out pointing out the connection as a christian myself because Mm -hmm. people in my own camp are coming at me with spears going you can't say that but i almost feel like worse because you're coming at it from the the quote unquote liberal media side trying to draw these connections without even the without the context or background of that world like you don't have the the 20 years of upbringing in it but you're still seeing these surface parallels what's the what kind of drew you was it studying the curriculum when you got to the point of seeing these riots happening and the more inciting language being used that you saw the connection or was it something where okay, the Capitol riots happened, and then you're going, wait a minute, this all ties back into the curriculum. Like, what led one of those threads to the other? Yeah, I guess it was probably more of the latter. 
obviously I've spent a few years now steeped in these things and thinking about these things. But I guess after the riots happened, what immediately piqued my interest was obviously we have groups of people right now in this country who are just operating under different sets of facts. And those facts are influencing their behaviors in ways that each group finds appalling. And so I was just in general thinking about education as an institution and how it feeds into these these vastly different worldviews and more generally how we can come together as a decent functioning society. And so I, I just became curious in general. I had done a story about public schools and how they were talking about the riots. And I was curious about what different types of schools might mm. say about the riots, what evangelical schools are talking to children about the riots. I don't have I don't have great sources of people who are currently attending such schools or teachers in such schools, but I figured the closest thing I could I could get to to understanding what might be happening is to look at some more textbooks. And so I was originally curious about how they talked about Donald Trump specifically, Mm. um, because a few years ago, the round of textbooks I had, they just weren't updated enough, obviously, to really talk about him so much. So I got more recent ones. And they only talk about him a little because it's still early. I think they like came out in 2018. It was history had not yet been written. But as I read more about how they talked about him and more recent events, Obama and Black Lives Matter and immigration debates, that's when I started to see more of the connections between the types of things that people were saying at the riots and the signs they were holding and what these textbooks said. And I started reaching out to some folks who knew a lot more about it than I would in this relationship. And they seem to think there was a, a clear line between what we saw and being very dedicated to a specific worldview. But perhaps my article is heavier handed than it should have been now that I think about it, because I think in many ways, just the rhetoric in the textbooks can speak for itself. Yeah, I'm wondering what the response, like you said, it's a very divided kind of conversation. There's people operating from two extremely different worldviews. And because we're talking, we're talking about religion and politics. Like we're talking about two things that you just don't, I mean, one, you don't talk about with each other, at least peacefully. So like it's the things people joke about bringing up at Thanksgiving and it's splitting up the table. What's been the response to your article? I I know I saw a little bit of of the feedback, but what's been the overwhelming response? Has it been about split 50-50? Has it been a majority see those connections, a majority that are, are frustrated, you're trying, to, they feel like you're trying to make these connections. What's been the overwhelming response there? I'd say at first, in the immediate days after I published the article, I received overwhelmingly positive responses. I heard from a lot of people who had previously been involved with their church and left, or people who had gone to these schools and wanted to share their experiences I heard from people in other parts of the country who were concerned about things they were seeing in secular institutions and what they saw as a sort of creeping in as a worldview. And then after that initial wave, I'd say in the past few days is when I've gotten emails from people who who felt like my reporting was incredibly slanted and sought to villainize a specific side or set of beliefs, which was not my intention. And just reader emails saying this is really biased and and offensive to to associate 
some of these teachings with what happened at the Capitol. And then some people who were really supportive of what happened at the Capitol and also supportive of these textbooks. So it's been a mix of things. I would say that the pushback hasn't been too aggressive. Um, I, I, my, this particular article primarily really only focused on the textbooks and it didn't have as much of a human element in terms of people's experiences. And I guess that is probably something that if I was to, you know, write about these things again, I would want more of just because I do want to make it clear that I relied on the textbooks and also what people who are much smarter than me, scholars and historians were saying about the textbooks, but it was not my intention to put down or other people who believe in certain things or attend certain institutions. That's a question that I wanted to wanted to ask here at the end is just as a reporter, and I ask this somewhat selfishly because I find myself in this position often with the show is that I, I you start getting that gut feeling of, okay, I feel like this is connected to this. And you start pursuing that story or, or that, that thread. And at some point, again, that bias seeps in, right? And that's not always a bad thing. We say bias, like it's a bad thing, but like you have to take into account your experiences. You try to separate yourself from it as much as you can and hear each story on its own. But how do you separate enough to know whether it's bias or whether it's connected? Because it's amazing to me, like even looking at the capital stuff, in my mind, coming from my own perspectives, I thought this is as clear as it can get. Like for me, I was thinking like, obviously this has become a big problem. And I had people who were friends, at least Facebook friends, people I know who I've met in person who are rational human beings, who they weren't saying they were for it, but they would say, they would make posts like, what do you think social media would look like in 1776? And I was like, whoa, like that, (laughs) like to me, it was so cut and dry. And then if I would, if I saw someone posting something that was against it, I would see people jumping on it and being like, why are you against it? Or if I saw people for it, I would see people. And both sides are absolutely convinced that they're 100% accurate. And the same happens in my show with when I'm dealing with abuse. There's things that are very clearly conversations about sexual assault and what is consent, where it's very clear. Like, it's very clear that a victim's being blamed here. Yeah. But then you get feedback saying, from my perspective, it seems. So how, how do you as a reporter find that balance between, I guess, reporting and writing an opinion piece, writing, because sometimes that line feels very blurred, especially right now where we live in a world of alternative facts and quote unquote fake news from both sides. I think both sides would say, you've got the the side on the left saying that the right is pretty fake news and the people on the right are maybe not in those same terms, but you get my drift there. Difficult balance because in general, my instinct is always to just if I'm unsure of something or if I feel like I'm having difficulty finding the language to call something what it is in a clear manner, my instinct is always just, okay, then keep reporting it out. Talk to more people until you find that truth, until you find that nugget. I think that's, I think it's difficult at this particular moment in history because I think talking to more people, reporting it out more sometimes makes you feel crazy. (laughs) There's so many people who are so sure about their beliefs. But like with this story, some of the people who I spoke to, some of the scholars, these are people who I've been speaking to for years. So I have a have built up a certain amount of trust in terms of their 
scholarship in terms of their perspective, in terms of their ability and willingness to be nuanced. So that's something I, I try to do here. That's something I try to do in general, but what's really difficult, I, the only thing I can really say is trying to go into something with a certain amount of, I know X, Y, Z to be true, and yeah. then find people who you trust, who you think are fair and nuanced, who can point you in the right direction. Right. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really, I think it's really good. And that's something I just, when I read the article, I was like, man, I can't imagine trying to pick this apart from the outside. And I didn't know your background. So I was curious. One, it's rare that I see that kind of curriculum covered or even anything relatable to uh, most reporting done on religion covers the Catholic church, sometimes the Mormon church. But sometimes I know for me, I feel like I'm the only one talking about this interesting sect of Christianity. And so anytime I see anything with the words of Becca pop up. I'm like, okay, this seems like something I should check out. But I really appreciate you just sharing your perspective on it. I know I had a lot of people mention, so I wanted to get your touching on it. What drew you to write about it? What covered, what went into the article? Because again, it's it was interesting to me that people I knew and respected were felt it was extremely slanted. And then mm-hmm. I felt reading it, th- there's little things here and there where I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I agree to the fullest extent, but also... I'm looking at it and going, I spent 20 years in this context. So there's yeah. no way, there, there's no way to fully encapsulate all of that or to really, again, there's no way to fully encapsulate how someone going through K5 through 12th grade in some program is going to affect their worldview for the rest of their life. There's no, you could write an entire research paper on that about how yeah. you're brought up. But I really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate the article and I really hope you keep writing in this vein because I'll read every article that comes out relating to it. I think it's really fascinating and uh, yeah, definitely let me know when that next article comes out. I'd love to check it out. Awesome. Will do. And I know you mentioned that you had a lot of different perspectives on the articles and I just want to say that would love to hear from people of all different stripes about their thoughts or if they've follow up ideas or just things that that they want to talk about. My email is in my Twitter bio, I think. Or, so please feel free to reach out anytime. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll put a link to the article in the show notes. People can check it out. And then I'll definitely drop your contact information. And I know there's probably several in my audience that would love to give some feedback on it. And like I said, there's a very broad range of people. So that might be pretty interesting. But awesome. Thank you so much. Everybody go check that out and uh, let me know what you think. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.